Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. And it just struck me the Psalms, the book of Psalms, as I read through and through, you know, Hezekiah, Josiah. I just spent a lot of time, first, second Chronicles, and looking at just century after century after century after century when one like, you know, Asa did good, and you'll read the scriptures where, where the bad guys that this guy, Manasseh, did evil in the sight of the Lord, did not bring down the high place. But, I, but then it'll say, Asa, Asa did good in the sight of the Lord. And in every case, when they did good in the sight of the Lord, it speaks about how he reintroduced the, Le, the, the Levitical priesthood as David commanded. In other words, so they put in place all these singers, all these instrumentalists, all these musicians. They put all this stuff in there and it, it just really begins to strike you when you read it over and over and over again that there's something powerful about our worship and our praise that really kind of blows my mind even last night i looked i saw over what oh gosh i've got like i said i've got two thousand things and i'm asking god to distill it down here but let me tell you what no never mind let me put a thing here look at this and uh Lord help me here. Sorry. Like I said, I've got all these pages. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach at all. I promise. Back here in Hebrews um, Hebrews 2, I think it is. I, I found a verse that I it blew my mind. It was profound to me. I don't know if it will be to you or not, but um, where's it at? Anybody know where it's at? Which one was it, Julie? 2 what? 2.12? Yeah. Well, anyhow, just before Hebrews 2, let's say verse 11, the writer of Hebrews, who I still believe was Apostle Paul, uh, the writer, uh, he says in verse 11, for both he who sanctifies, making men holy, and those who are sanctified all have one father. For this reason, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. For he says, now when it says he with a capital H, it's speaking about Jesus Christ here. Okay? Okay? Now he's quoting what... David said in Psalm 22, 22, he says, I will declare I. Who's I? Who's I? Who is I? Jesus. Okay, I'm going to help you. It's an open book test. Jesus. I will declare your name, the fathers, to my brethren in the midst of the worshiping congregation. I, who's I? Jesus, in the midst of the worshiping congregation, I will sing praises to you. Jesus says, now this, I just, I just, I said, what? And I suddenly saw something like even this morning. And he said, you need to open your eyes to this. He said, remember, like you teach all the time, that's the realm that's real. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it ain't real. But he said, when my people truly worship me, Jesus said, I will come in the midst of the worshiping congregation. I myself will sing praises to my Father. In other words, and I suddenly saw this picture of Jesus standing right here, just enjoying the worship. But he's at the same time praising his Father, which is what he lives to do, is to give praise to Jesus. I'm sorry, but that just rocked me a little bit. My God, Jesus is in our midst. I know he inhabits the praises of our people and all that, but I'd never seen this, that he, he, <laughs> look what it said. 
well, sorry, I've got this other verse in there. John's reading something else. <laughs> I will declare your name. I, Jesus, for he says, I will declare your name to my brother. But in the midst of the worshiping congregation, I'm going to sing hymns of praise to the Father. Jesus himself begins to sing hymns to the Father. Now, I'll tell you why that was important to me, because of all the stuff I've been reading back here about the prophets, the bands of the prophets who were all singers and musicians, and how suddenly, like when Saul came, divine inspiration comes. But what I'm getting at is when Jesus is singing hymns, don't you see what I'm trying to get? Jesus starts singing hymns to the Father, and some of our musicians begin to hear what Jesus is singing. And they begin to play the notes and play the, and begin to sing the words that Jesus is singing to the Father. Now, to me, that's heavy stuff. But you've got to have your eyes open to this. Otherwise, it'll just sound like it's gimmicky. But this is real. This is why I said we've got to have re- revelation. Now, I want you to turn to a- Amos 9 because this is, I'm just going to try to share some of this. Amos 9 is where you actually see the initial, the whole prophecy about how the tabernacle of David is going to be is going to be brought back and what God says about it. You start at Amos 9, 11. Amos, just after Joel. And like I said, I've got a ton of information. I've got all of Mike Bickle's notes on some of this stuff. And, and I've got a probably a 10 thing slide PowerPoint thing, but I don't think I'm going to get to, I just, there's too much to read. But I want you to catch some of the things that I've studied. And I, I'm just asking Father for the, you to help them to trust me when I speak some of the things that I've studied out and seen. Actually, Father, I just want to thank you again this morning. I truly thank you for more and more understanding. And I don't know what other word to use. Revelation. Illumination. That you would open our eyes so that we can actually see what transpires in the spirit realm when we sing to you from our heart, when we praise you, when we give you thanks in the midst of our troubles, that somehow, some way, you would actually help us to, to embrace, to grasp, to handle, to understand that it is a real thing. It's not just noise, that something happens. Something happens. Something is being transformed in our midst when we actually stop and give you praise. And give you thanks in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, that it is the day of the tabernacle of David being reinstated. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. So help us see today, I pray. Now in Amos 9, the Lord's talking about how he's basically, I'm fed up with Israel. I'm fed up with all their sin. I'm fed up with all their injustice. I'm fed up with what they're doing. So he said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to bring this punishment upon them for all of what, all of their iniquity and all of their sin. And then he says, and he, uh, in verse 11, then he, and then he speaks, he prophesies about the day that you and I now live in. And the prophet says this, because James speaks about this in Acts 15. We'll go and read that too. James brings this whole issue of what Amos says. He said, in that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David. Now, I'm going to talk about really what that looked like. It was called a sukkah. It's spelled S-U-C-C-A-H, a tent, literally a tent. And this, this is really profound, some of the stuff I'm going to show you when you think about it. Nevertheless, let's just read. This is where all the tabernacle of David information begins. In that day, I will raise up. See, there's, there's no if or ends about it. Did you hear me? There's no ifs. 
There's no ands. There's no no maybes. God Almighty said, I am going to raise up the tabernacle of David. Now remember, what were they worshiping at that time? Where did they worship? Everybody worshiped at the tabernacle of Moses, right? Just say yes. But in that day, will I raise up the tabernacle of David, the fallen hut or booth? Because the, the, the Jewish people of that time had ceased to worship God as David had commanded because of how God had commanded David. They'd ceased actually worshiping God like he told them to. And that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, the fallen hutter booth. I'm going to close up its breaches. I will raise up its ruins. And I will build it as in the days of old. Now listen to this. The next verse says that, in other words, there's going to be an effect. There's going to be a cause. There's going to be something happen. There's going to be a result of what happens when the tabernacle of David is reinstituted, when it's, when it's built back up. Did you hear me? I, I, you know, just say, yeah, help me. Make me feel better. <laughs> There's going to be something happen as a result of the tabernacle of David being reinstituted. Verse 12 says, I'm going to do it. Verse 11 you know, says, I'm going to raise up this. But verse 12 says, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the nations that are called by my name, says the Lord who does this. Now, Again, I've studied so much about this. What it's saying, in effect, I've read through 10 different commentaries and i read a bunch of articles, that it says that because, the, because of the tabernacle of David being reconstructed, the result of that is that all the nations of the world are, go be, are going to begin to flow towards the church. Now, that's profound. All the nations. Edom represents all the nations. Edom in particular speaks of like the Arab nations. But he's talking about, because he says in all the nations of the world. So something happens when the tabernacle of Moses, tabernacle of David, excuse me, is resurrected that really begins to touch nations. I'm trying to say the spiritual wavelength of our worship and our praise does a whole lot more than just a resound about in this building or resound about in your household. God has ordained it to cause change and to cause explosion to happen. Now, keep that in mind because of what I'm going to say in, in, in the book of Acts. And, and then in verse 13, he said, Behold, the days are coming. All of this takes place because of the resurrection of the tabernacle of David. Verse 13, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, and the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. That is, everything heretofore barren and unfruitful is going to overflow with spiritual blessing. Now, everything heretofore that was barren. Now, that's right, because remember when David went nuts praising the Lord, and his wife Michael got upset? And it says because of how upset she got at him, she was barren for the rest of her life. Worship destroys barrenness. Hatred of praise and worship brings barrenness. Uninvolvement. I said uninvolvement in praise and worship creates barrenness, whether you understand it or not. If we have that sense of nothingness, if we have a sense of barrenness in our life, one of the first things we need to ask ourselves is, are we actually giving God thanks? 
Do we actually appreciate him? Good times, bad times, it makes no difference as to whether or not our God is real and our God is faithful. Do you hear me? This is what I mean. See, this is where we begin to understand. Do, are we actually believers? Or are we just people who might go to church? But to actually, it's when you actually believe in him, you begin to see him in, uh, in things and you begin to wait for him. You learn how to be patient. You trust in him. You aren't afraid because you realize he is with me and you simply, I'm going to give him praise. I'm going to praise God. Paul and Silas, in the, we all know that in the midnight hour, they're in prison in bonds. They begin to sing loudly. Everybody say loudly. They begin to sing loudly. They begin to praise him. I just, I, because Paul was caught up into the third heaven and taught by Jesus Christ himself, it says in Galatians, I kind of believe Paul possibly understood something about praise and worship himself. And Paul, because at midnight, like I said, he's locked up. He's none of But remember all over it says, Paul said, none of these things move me. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're actually locked up, chained to the wall. But you're mad. Nothing is more important than singing hallelujah to the one in whom you believe. Singing praise to him who you know loves you. Even if I don't understand what's going on, I know he loves me and nothing is going to separate me from the love of God. I know that I know that I know that I'm loved by God. I don't care if it's sickness is on me. I don't care if lack is on me. I don't care what's currently happening. It's not going to tell me. Nothing tells me that God doesn't love me. My God loves me. And so he worships. They worship. They praise. They praise. And then it says, and suddenly, praise and worship brings suddenlies. Suddenly there's an earthquake. There's an earthquake. Because two dudes are worshiping. <laughs> There's an earthquake and all their chains are broke off and they go free. I mean, yes, we've heard that. If you've been in church every night for lengthy, you've heard it taught a thousand times. But we should, something in us doesn't see it. We just think, okay, that's a cool Bible story. But like I said, I cannot communicate. I, I was thinking yesterday or Friday or something, I, I was actually having a rough time. I was praying because I was having a rough time because God was, I was seeing so much. Please don't think I'm patting myself in the back. I'm not, but I'm saying, Father, there's no way I can, that people are going to be patient enough for me to take them through every single place that you've shown me over the last, you know, 14 days. There's no way I can, I can, you know, I don't, there's not, space or time or we're not together enough in one moment to be able to share this so that they can begin to see what it appears that you're showing me. I mean, the power, the plan, the purpose, what, you know, what, what is produced when we actually give ourselves to praise, when we actually begin to, to worship him, to just give him our attention no matter what else is going on. I mean, it's so powerful. But back here, it says, because of the resurrection of the tabernacle of David, verse 13 again says, I'm going to read it again. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. The treader of grapes will overtake him who sows the seed. The mountains are going to begin to drop sweet wine. And all the hills are going to melt. That is everything. Everything. Heretofore barren and unfruitful 
is going to overflow with spiritual blessing. But then the next effect of it, this is what hit me, and this is where it's going to, it's kind of important to see why, uh, how James references it in Acts 15. And I'm going to bring back the exiles of my people Israel. Now catch this, something about our worship and praise is going to affect Israel. Here we are as a church in London, England, and we don't know it, but when we actually slip into real praise, in real worship, that it actually somehow, God, just think about all the churches right now this morning in London. How many churches are there in greater London? But think about how many churches are on planet Earth and how many of them at least make an effort to offer up some kind of worship and praise. But again, the hard fact is, like Mike Bickle says, maybe 3% of the churches on planet Earth really understand that music, real praise, real worship, is far more than just something you do before the preacher comes. They don't understand. But yet, see, God is love. God will use anything we'll give him. He's so gracious, he'll use anything we give him. But there's something about our worship and praise that begins to attract the Jewish people. Now, I'm going to show you something in a minute. And I will bring back the exiles of my people, Israel, and they shall build the waste places and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, they shall plant and shall drink the wine from them, they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be torn up out of the land which I gave them, says the Lord your God. God spoke this, so this is going to happen. Now turn to Acts 15. Let me just show you this real quick and show you this aspect of the tabernacle of David that's incredible. They have this Jerusalem council that takes place. and start in verse 15, Acts 15, verse 15. I don't know if I want to back up or what. Let me see. Okay, well, let me, let me give you the background. What's happening here is this is when Paul and uh, Barnabas come back to Jerusalem. Listen to me. And they're rehearsing to the Jerusalem Council, the apostles that have stayed there that start, you know, like the first church, James, the brother of Christ. They're rehearsing of what's happening. That God is bringing, is converting, bringing conversion to the Gentiles. In other words, and again, I said, this was, are you listening to me? This was phenomenal. This was blowing their mind because they were thinking this new thing that had happened, this Christianity that, you know, the only thing that was happening, that, that, that the Jews, their own people, the Jewish people, were being saved, were being converted, and recognizing that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. And that's the thing that's exploding that everybody's concentrating on. But here go Paul and Barnabas out there. And wow, it's a phenomena. Gentiles are coming to Christ. And the same miracles that are happening amongst the Jews are happening among the Gentiles. And beyond that, the mind-blowing thing that Paul began to communicate to the Jerusalem counselors, they're being filled with the Holy Spirit just like we are. And it blows their ever-living mind. They can't, you know, it's unbelievable that the Gentiles are coming in to Christianity. The Gentiles are. In other words, not just not for the Jews. 
So anyhow, that's what they're talking about here. And um, let me see where I start here, like I said. So let me just start in verse 12, Acts 15, 12. Then the whole assembly remained silent, and they listened attentively as Barnabas and Paul rehearsed what signs and wonders God had performed through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished talking, James replied, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, Peter, has rehearsed how God first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people to bear and honor his name. And with this, the predictions of the prophets agree as it is written. And here's where he quotes about, he paraphrases out Amos. Verse 16, after this, I will come back. I will rebuild the house of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its very ruins. And I will set it up again so that the rest of men, see, not just the Jews, but all the nations, so that the rest of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name has been invoked, says the Lord, who has been making these things known from the beginning of the world. Now, what begins to be profound, I wrote it down like this. Let me just read what I wrote in my notes. Interesting that in the original Jerusalem Council, the issue was Gentiles coming into Jewish worship for salvation. Could it be in this day, the tabernacle of David being resurrected, that a reversal of that begins to happen, where now the church is figuring out how to deal with all the Jewish people that are going to start coming into Christian churches? In other words, could our worship be a tool to attract the Jewish people towards the true Messiah? See, when you get into traditional Judaism, you know, music is such a huge, gigantic thing to them. But to them, most of it is a traditional thing. But they still know the sound. And what really is being communicated is when we begin to capture the new songs, when we begin to worship after the, after the heart of David. Do you understand these songs? For centuries, like I said, when I read through all the Chronicles, you know, Hezekiah, Josiah, Asa, all these guys, do you understand it all says that they were singing as well as the new song, they were singing the songs of David, the Psalms. And I just, it just struck me again afresh. These Psalms, the book of Psalms, are songs, remember, that were written 3,000 years ago. And for hundreds of years, they sang those songs. And just today, we get to sing the same songs. I get to sing songs. If you will, you and I get to sing songs David wrote. And they're kind of anointed. This is why, you know, a lot of our minstrels and our songwriters and stuff spend some time in David's songs and see what he wrote. And take his songs and put his songs in today's language or sing them fully because they're anointed. But let's join in what God commanded David to do. He commanded David. David wrote these songs under the inspiration of God Almighty. And for centuries, as new kings that followed the Lord came in, they instituted that very same worship and praise, 4,000 singers, 288 skilled ones, uh, another 2,000 musicians, trumpeters, lute players, cymbal players, harp players, constantly, 24-7, giving thanks to God. And I've got to go back to this statement, too. I've said it before, but... And for 24 hours a day, in shifts of an hour where they had all these teams, I think I mentioned that two weeks ago, <clears throat> but every single hour they shifted a whole mass of new singers would come, our new Thanksgiving people would come rather, but they sang, they sang these things. 
But there's something about this phrase. They were commanded to continually say, for the Lord is good and his loving kindness and his mercy endure forever. For the Lord is good and his loving kindness and his mercy endure forever. For the Lord is good and his loving kindness, that's Hasid covenant, for the Lord is good and his loving kindness and his mercy endure forever. I'm telling you, I know, I don't know how to explain it yet, but there's something, that statement is a key that unlocks stuff. God help them hear this. There's something about that. There's something about that that caused the walls of Jericho to fall down. Why does God command them? David commanded this as he was told by God. For 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for a mass of people to do nothing, to do nothing else, to do nothing else. Now, is that just, see, this wasn't tradition. Anything that's revelatory can become, can become just traditional and dry. You know that, don't you? But this is what, why I'm even speaking on this stuff now. I want us to have an awakening, personally, just how you can change your own home. My God, how you can change a business, a career, how you can change your own attitude, how you can change your life, yourself, by really catching this tool or this, what I don't know what word to use, this God-given ability to unlock, something unlocks heaven, something it creates, it builds up the breaches. This is another thing, if we took time, like Michael Bickle goes for a long time talking about how praise and worship begins a building, it causes building to happen building, building, building. I'm going to build. As this comes in, as this becomes the instituted, building is going to start to happen. You're only built. You're going to get built. That place where the breach, where there's holes, there's breaches in your defenses, it's going to, you're going to get built up. Why? Just because all I did was praise you. All I did was worship. All I did was bow down. All I did was stay still. You begin to build. But see, you and I need to see this Honestly, otherwise, it's just a bunch of words. But my prayer, I'm telling you, I hope I don't sound super spiritual, but I am praying at gut level. I really am for all of you to catch this. Julie and I had a long time of prayer for all of you guys yesterday. I called tons of you by name. Many of you that I don't know by name, but I knew your face, and I started to pray over your face. But I mean, really, I'm not saying that to go, wow, isn't that cool? But I mean, we, I'm serious about this. I want you guys to, to catch this. There's, it's like lighting a fuse. There's something explosive that's available. If a bunch of us can get on the same page with us. I mean, I, David, you know, I really, like I said, I am so blessed that God has David Powell with us. And I'm not, not to embarrass him, but I'm, we were talking about him for more, just for a moment this morning back there. But, you know, the David's our worship pastor. There's something that God is doing in this. I call him a kid, so you're a kid to me. I don't care, whatever. You, know. <laughs> you youngster, you. But some of the stunning words, quote, dreams slash visions that God's giving him, the stuff that he writes, I'm telling you, man, he's well beyond his years and some of the, imp- the re- inspiration that God's given him. And I just I just give God thanks. I said, Father, I, you know, and this is why I love the fact that when he's, instituting into the worship team and that he has people that really do want to enter into worship 
See, you got to understand, a lot of churches have people that just sing songs. Well, what songs are we going to sing this week? Well, I can always pull out number 104. You know what I mean? I mean, that's sadly just what it is. But don't you want a group of people that bow their knees and say, Father, I don't care if it's an old song, new song, just help us actually give you glory and offer the thanksgiving to you that you deserve for what you've done. We're saved from death, hell, and destruction. We have eternal life now through Jesus Christ our Lord. I, for one, am grateful. And, you know, you got a group to begin to think like that so that when they come up here, they're not trying to perform for you. They're trying to worship. Their, their, their heart is to sing to him and to extol his praises. I said to extol his praises because something gigantically powerful that we have not understood or seen yet happens. It just does. Some guy wrote, I, let me see, worship music imparts, excuse me, worship music impacts the spiritual realm and seriously impairs the powers of darkness to perform their intended assignment. Now, we've said stuff like that before, but I really love it. I forget who wrote this. But worship music, true worship, impacts the spiritual realm and seriously impairs the powers of darkness to perform their intended assignment. In other words, we stop the devil in their tracks. But see, don't you understand what we're trying to get as God wants us to do this at home? That's why I love being alone with him. Julie loves being alone with him. When I'm alone, I can sound like an idiot. Nobody listens. I am me, but I'm going to praise him. And I'm going to thank him. And I'm going to show my gratitude that he saved me from death. He saved me from hell. I was going straight to hell. All of us were going straight to hell, whether we believed it or not. But you know my story, heroin addiction, years in prison, a lot of violence, all that stuff. I am so grateful. Like, I, I mean, I really am so grateful. I, you know, we all know none of, us, none of us are perfect. And man, I'm surely not the example of righteousness that I want to be. But, you know, I am just so grateful that I, I am, like they say, I'm just not what I used to be. I know what my God has done in my life. And so I have great hope for the future. I have great expectation. I really do. And you have to keep that alive. I'm telling you, age, race, none of it, education has anything to do with it. The devil does everything he can to suppress excitement and to suppress expectation. He wants you to be caught up in dreariness and weariness and um, depressed and no, what else, what other hell is going to break loose. He, he wants us to live there. But every single one of us can rise up and praise God for who he is, not, listen, not what is happening. You don't praise God just because good things. This, that's the whole key, remember, that in the midst of being in a prison is where we need to praise him. In the midst of cancer is where we praise him. That's how you get delivered from cancer. In the midst of having no job is when you actually praise him for being your provider. This is a house of abundance. We live in God's household. I'm going to say that forever because it is the truth. 
It's what the book says. We have become members of God's household, and in his household there's no lack. My father meets all my needs. And you have to have that same sense. And that's why I'm going to praise him. Thank you. All my needs are met. Well, it doesn't look like it. Well, I don't care what it looks like. My God will never forsake me. He will never forsake me. Deliverance is on its way. That's why David said, you surround me with songs and shouts of deliverance. God would shout deliverance to David. <laughs> I studied that out just this last week. And that's what it says in, in, in the Hebrew slash Aramaic, that verse that actually says that God shouts and God shouts at David's enemies and he's delivered because David was praising him. When I start praising God, God starts shouting at my enemies. <laughs> Sorry, but I like that. I like, doesn't anybody else like that? When I start praising God, really from my heart, God stops shouting, starts shouting at my enemies, and it brings me deliverance. <laughs> well, see, I'll just rest in that a while. Hallelujah. But could it be that our praise and our worship, that there's a reversal in this dispensation, begins to draw the Jews? Hallelujah. Something, some spiritual tie to when we actually begin to worship and praise Him. Now, like I said, there's a thousand areas I could go here. One other thing God said to me, and like I said, then I'm going to read a few more verses. And I'm going to do my best to, like I said, I don't have any comprehension of time anymore, but I'm doing really good now. I got a, I, man, I'm telling you, I got four hours left. Doors are locked back there. It's all good. You guys can live on tea or you can fast till the afternoon. You know, Jeff's, you can miss seeing the Arsenal game. Hallelujah. But, let, but, you know, so this is why I'm sharing this because, again, I'm sharing these things from Scripture because Romans 10, 17 is that faith comes by hearing. I want you to hear this truth about music and worship. I want you to understand God ordained music. God ordained singing. The difference between Old Testament worship and New Testament worship is actually seen in Hebrews 12 where it says, Now we have come into Mount Zion. But listen to this. It says, we've come unto thousands and thousands of angels in joyous assembly. Now get the picture of this. In this new covenant, as we come before God right this moment, see, you need to see what you read. You need to see. Please, Father, Holy Spirit, help. You need to see what is written you need to you need to see it it says in this one when we come into worship praise we're joining with listen thousands and thousands and thousands it says of angels that are in a joyful assembly that's what's happening right now in heaven i hope you're not afraid of noise Seriously, I know we're in England. <laughs> I said, let's not get too, too noisy. But in heaven right now, it is true. There are multitudes, and whatever translation, thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands right now. Angels up there are full of joy. 
Do you know what the most repeated, I read this yesterday, do you know what the most repeated command is in all of Scripture? Do you know what the most repeated command in all of Scripture is? It is actually, praise the Lord. But in the midst of that, what it speaks to when you study it out, I like the TWOT, this thing you've heard me say, the Theological Word Book of the Old Testament. It's got some incredible information in it. But it speaks, it's the most repeated phrase of commandment. It's the most repeated commandment in all of Scripture is to praise the Lord for His goodness, to celebrate Him. But what it equates, it says, when you wrap it all up, what it means is that we are to be a happy people. That's what it said. That the most repeated command in all of Scripture is supposed to produce in us a revelation that we're to be a happy people. Hallelujah. Because... Heaven is happy. There's no sour notes in heaven. There's no depression, no dismay. And the thing that's supposed to mark us today is the joy and the happiness that we walk in because we serve a living Savior, not a dead letter. And see, I get scared even right now. I hope, well, I hope some of you out there are just thinking, but you know, if you're looking from where I'm looking, a lot of you are going... So I don't know how much excitement there is out there. I don't know how much revelation is coming, but I'm trying to help you. God knows I'm trying to help you. There's something deeply important about us worshiping God, praising God, giving Him thanks. It's much more than 30, 40 minutes before the preacher comes up. Uh. So faith comes by hearing and again, so let me just give you, I'm going to throw out just a couple more ones that we know, but I want to share them again in here. Remember in 2 Kings 3, why don't you put up 2 Kings 3, verse 15, John, if you would, and we'll read the next three verses. You're all familiar with this, but again, we need to look at it. Faith comes by hearing, and I want you to think on these things. Verse, well, okay, go back two verses. Go back like to 13, something like that. Okay, that's fine. This is where I'm, you know, uh, I forget which king it is. I think. Uh, and Elisha said to the king of Israel, oh, listen, you know, Jehoshaphat, he doesn't like, you know, the, this, the, there's a bad guy that's the king of Israel right now. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your wicked father Ahab and your wicked mother Jezebel. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called us three kings together to be delivered in the hand of Moab. You do not want a leader that is always going to tell you you're going to get another enemy's going to kill you. In this case, the enemy's going to kill you. You don't want that. Next verse. Oh, okay, and as Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I respect the presence of Jehoshaphat. You, no, I've got some, sweet. Okay, thank you. I've seen that in old Pentecostal churches. Hallelujah. As Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were not that I respect the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. This is the prophet's man. I wouldn't even look at you or see you, King Joram. Next verse. But now, bring me a minstrel. And here, again, we know this, some of us, because we've been in church a long time. Here's Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha. He has the double portion. He has the double portion of the anointing that's on Elijah. Elijah has, 
when you read it in scripture it shows seven miracles it's funny enough but it is it's true and you read about elisha the bible shows 14 miracles but anyway anyhow it's just the tip of the iceberg but he has a double portion this is a true prophet is what i'm trying to say this is not a wannabe prophet this is an anointing from the holy ghost from heaven itself a real prophet but why does he say this? Because he, he, he is, see, does a prophet just automatically know, well, well, you know, they come to you and, okay, I instantly hear the voice of God. But this is what we're trying to say. We need to look at this. Here's Elisha, and he says, bring me a minstrel. In other words, I need, I need a minstrel to activate the gift that God has given me. I need a minstrel to activate the office I walk in sometimes. Now, I have this office, whether it's not a minstrel or not, but I'm telling you, when you add a minstrel to what I carry from heaven, something great, something bigger, something more is available. Bring me a minstrel, and what does it say? What does it say? And while the minstrel played, the hand and the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. Right? Right? Would somebody... Play like you're American for a minute. Everybody say amen. 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 Say God bless you, preacher. <laughs> While the minstrel played the hand and the power of the Lord. Now see, I release faith for that. When I sit here, even this morning, like I said, I believe we had, we had beautiful worship this morning. I was feeling it this morning. I felt it last week too. But I'm telling you, I'm, I release my, see, you don't have it if you don't want it. You don't have it if you don't expect it. You've got to release faith. Without faith, you can't please God. God wants to be pleased by our faith. He wants us to believe. So I sit there and I believe. I say, Father, I thank you that as these guys begin to play in Jesus' name, I receive the hand of the Lord upon me. I receive more and more of the hand and your power upon me. Why not? Because it's available. But see, that can happen to Rod sitting in his front chair. But I have on some beautiful music from Bethel or some beautiful music or whatever. I mean, I've even got Alexa. They gave me for Father's Day last year. The church bought me one of those Alexa things. So I'll sit there and I'll say, Alexa, bless God, play me some Bethel music. Here's the best of Bethel music. And I just sit back, put my head back, and wait for what comes. I just begin to praise God. Hallelujah. Of course, I've got the Bible on there too. Alexa, read me the book of John. I'm, here's John. I just sit back and listen to Alexa read me John. Hallelujah. Praise God. But I want my surroundings. Yes, Julie freaks out. She doesn't freak out. I love football. I love American football. As soon as I go home today, I'm going to be watching some American football. I'm not super spiritual. But I mean, you know, sometimes she'll say, Rod, please. But, and she seems to always see me when I'm watching some film I like or something like that. But I love his presence. And I'm forever asking him to help me cultivate his presence. I used to go, I still, well, I haven't done a lot. I used to go to a movie. I'd go to the cinema all by myself. I'd just go there. You know, I love action movies and stuff. I'm still a big kid. But what began to happen, I'd go there, I'd buy a popcorn and a Coke, and I'd sit back, and all of a sudden, I wouldn't even touch the giant popcorn. Took two sips of the Coke, and I'd just start thinking on God. And I don't know why, but something happens to me. I'll go to the cinema by myself. I begin to hear God. I don't even watch the movie. I just lose money. 
I spent the money for nothing, man. I'm sitting there, and I don't know. It's just getting alone. And there's something because I've studied the scriptures about God who dwells in thick darkness. And I used to be afraid of darkness, but now I look to it. I love being in a room with all the lights off because I read, I am God, I dwell in the darkness. Because nothing distracts me when it's pitch black. And I'll just sit there and there's sound going on, the movie's going on, but I'm here. Something else is going on here. Scripture's coming to me. Scripture's coming to me. Thoughts are coming to me from heaven. See, I love that. But I've had to learn to cultivate that. Like I was taught when I first got saved, I was taught, I heard this statement again by Gordon Lindsay back from Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. He said, you have to learn to practice the presence of God. He said that in 1947, the year I was born. Yes, I'm that old. I'm a youngster, whether you like it or not. Anyhow, I'm just trying to say you have to cultivate that sense. You know, again, I always quote 1 Corinthians 15:34, where Paul says, "Awake unto right standing. Awake unto the fact that you've got right standing right now, and quit sinning." He says, I say this to your shame because you lack this. This is literally what the scripture says in the Amplified. You lack the sense of the presence of God. You lack the sense of the presence of God. Well, if you can lack it, if you can lack the sense of it, you can have the sense of it. I said you can, you can have the sense of it. See, I'm not talking about you turning into super saint. Okay? Because we're in the flesh. And all of us are imperfect. And we'll be imperfect until the day, until the moment we're taken out of here. I was watching something this morning, turn on the TV. I got done studying. I just turned on God TV for a minute, which I hardly ever do on a Sunday morning. And this John Ankerberg show, they were talking about the, the rapture of the church and stuff like this. And the guy made this mention about what it really meant about the twinkling of an eye that will all be changed when Jesus comes. And he talked about it. Well, I can't give you all the scientific reference, but basically he said what what is what the Bible says is going to happen. These doctors of prophecy and stuff and theologians, they said in in the blink of an eye, the twin, it it speaks to what we know. What he said, it speaks to what today would be this one in one thousandth of a second. Listen, in one thousandth of a second, you're going to be out of this realm. And you're going to be with him in his realm. That's what's going to happen to all of us who know Christ. That jazzes me. In one thousandth of a second. There's no way you can multiply it, figure out. Just like that, we won't have time to think. Consider I will be with him. And you will be with him. Well, see, that alone makes me want to give thanks. Hallelujah. Praise God. I mean, seriously, praise God. Whatever's happening in the world, whatever looks like all hell's breaking loose and terrorists or whatever else is going on, whatever the Muslims think they're going to do, you know what? I'm going to live forever with God. It will be, I mean, in the moment, in the blink of an eye, in a one thousandth of one second, I'm out of here and I'm with him and I guarantee I'll be dancing in. I ain't going to be sitting in no chair then, Michael. You hear me? <laughs> But see, that's in front of all of us. Doesn't that give any of you a desire, a hope? 
This is not their final realm. I wrote on the top of my notes something, you probably laugh at me, it's like a, a reference to the old Star Trek or Star Wars thing. And I wrote this down, it just came on, is possibly, is music and worship one of our final frontiers that we're finally going to wake up to? Is it going to be one of the final frontiers in the body of Christ that the body of Christ suddenly awakens to? That when Paul sits at the keyboard, because Paul has God's spirit in him, Paul has God's spirit in him, and God's spirit is in his hands, (laughs) can it be that we're actually going to wake up to the point that our musicians... Actually, you've heard me say this many, many times, but it doesn't just work for music, that our musicians actually believe is this finger hits this key. Every single time my finger hits a key, God's anointing that's in me is going to come out of this instrument. And the anointings always break off chains. Can it be that our musicians, our singers, actually, actually, in the last days actually understand and they release faith for every note I sing because God's spirit is in me and I'm not just reading the words to a song. This is why the new song, as they say, the Bible speaks so often about our having a new song. It's when it's spontaneous. I've got a a passage back here I need to read if I can find it in my notes about the difference between then and now. The spontaneity that happens. But what if this is, what if, there's, it's, what if our revelation of music and worship is one of God's final frontiers? In other words, it's, the, it's something that finally, finally, finally we awaken to that actually begins to do what God's word says it do, bring the deliverance when we are surrounded by songs of deliverance. And you, I don't know about you, but I just get, I get visual. Like right now, as I look out here, just kind of over your heads, it's like I see a whirlwind. I can see a whirlwind. I can see a whirlwind, and I can see it. And I know that the scripture, I read it yesterday about how the winds and the storms are God's chariots. And I see like, and it says, you know, like God spoke to Job out of a whirlwind. But I picture this whirlwind, this tunnel, whatever it is, where God is shouting 360 degrees, shouting deliverance over all of us. Hallelujah. You know, right now. I believe in the realm of the Spirit. I don't see it all. I don't understand it all. But I can read the book. I can read the book. And God is not a man that he should lie. These are tools. These are weapons. That's why, indeed, I do pray hard over our musicians. Julie does, too. I pray hard over our singers. I want them to get it. You hear me? But, see, I want you to get it. That's why, you know, we, I, I long for people to come to church on times. And I'm not, not just so they can be at the beginning, so they show respect and honor and reverence to the worship team who put in work so that when the worship team like I said first stands up here there's not six people there you know and they're singing trying to sing with enthusiasm of six people and I'm not trying to condemn anybody but I'm just saying 
I want what God says is possible. Why are we in this if we don't? I, we're, we are not a social club. Right? We're not here to be a social club. God put himself in us that we might change the jive world. We are supposed to be world changers. Every one of you. And the thing is, you already are, but you don't know it yet. So many of you do not see the worth of who you are. You think of yourself in such a way that you've blocked yourself into a little prison where you don't see yourself as important as God sees you. But you are vitally important to the plan of God coming to pass. Every single one of you. But you have to receive this as an individual. And I'm sorry, but the, I'm not sorry, but the only way you can see it is when you hear God's word. You hear somebody tell you who you are as far as what God says. Faith comes by hearing. When you begin to hear this for yourself and go, this is who it says I am. And you quit looking at yourself in the flesh and you begin to see who you are in the spirit. And you begin, and what happens is you begin to wake up. I'm not Rod the ex-heroin addict, the ex-prisoner. In the flesh I am, but in the spirit I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things are new. The old has gone. Behold, the fresh and new has come. And I abide in eternal life. And eternal life abides in me. And I'm telling you, there's going to come a moment, like I said, in the twinkling of an eye, and I will be out of here. And so will all of you who've made the same decision. I'm telling you, that thrills my spirit. Listen, I'm not perfect, like I said. I don't walk around being super spiritual 24 hours a day. I don't, not 60 minutes an hour. But I got to tell you, it is a goal of mine. (laughs) It is a goal of mine to be more and more conscious of him. But I'm just trying to say the more and more conscious of him, the more I praise him because I'm beginning to see him more. And like I said, if Queen Elizabeth came in here, we'd all stand at attention or freak out. Or if this Anthony Joshua come in here, we'd all run. Or if your favorite football player would come in here, you'd freak out. Or if your favorite musician walked in here, you'd go, ooh, wow, But God is here. And God, see, just help us see him. Like I said, if we actually saw him, I think you'd want to praise him. Oh, my God, we would praise him. <laughs> we would praise him. Not just going to... You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Hallelujah. Anyhow, hello. Somebody say hello. Praise God. Let me hurry up and finish here. We all know again, okay, Paul, Elisha said, bring me a minstrel. Think on that. Why would he say that? Why does a minstrel have a place in activating the gift that's within him? First Kings, don't turn there. First Kings 39, 39. First Kings, whatever, is when again we know that David played for Saul. And we know that when he, when a skillful harpist who was a worshiper of God played his music, healing, refreshing, and deliverance came, right? And then in, uh, in 1 Samuel 10, 1 Samuel 19, 
We see Saul, remember those passages? I think we read them a couple weeks ago. Saul goes up. He's hunting for David. Well, the first time for 1 Samuel 10 is when he's just been anointed by Samuel. And he tells him, and he goes up, and there's this band of prophets. And again, the first time the word band was used. But every single time it talks about this company of prophets, or this band of prophets, it says that they're singing. You have to read it and study it. But they're singing. They play instruments. But what happens? Saul gets near them, and guess what happens? Saul begins to prophesy. Because there's something about prophetic prophets who carry the revelate prophets. Always prophets were singers. <laughs> I say that tentatively because I can't prove it in the life of Elijah or Elisha. But in all these other cases, these companies and bands of prophets were all singers and musicians. Because it's all through, like I said, First and Second Chronicles. All of these people prophesied. It says prophesied with their harps. They prophesied with their cymbals. They prophesied with the lutes. They prophesied with their instruments. It says they prophesied. What's prophecy? It's extolling the virtues of God. With instruments, they are extolling the virtues of God. And the singers were doing this too. I mean, it's everywhere. But it says that when you, if you get near that, that anointing can come on you. I mean, that's what's in Scripture. You know, let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. It's everywhere. Hallelujah. Where do I go now, Lord? Let me flip this through some stuff here. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's a, there's a couple of other things I wanted to say. Oh, Lord, God help me. Well, I'll tell you, let's do this first. Why don't we put up the very first two slides? Put up the first slide, John. John, I'm sorry. Put up the first slide of the PowerPoint. I have, this is a schematic of the tabernacle of Moses. He gets it up here. I want you to see this. To show again the major difference of what happened back in that day and why it's so profound. Now, this basically is the tabernacle of Moses. See it? If you look from the left to the right, like it says, it's not according to scale. But, you know, the, the priest came in the gate from the left to the right. And the first thing was the brazen altar. That's where they offered sacrifices. Then there was the labor where they went and cleansed themselves and then get rid of daily sin. Then you come to the holy place where the showbread table of showbread was, the lampstand was, and where the altar of incense is. The incense prayer is literally right there before the veil. And behind the veil was what? The Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Right? And nobody but nobody could go into that area except the high priest. And he had to be cleansed. And he had to be, to say that the anointing had to be on him. You've all heard this story. They, had, they tied a rope around his ankle. If there was any sin in him, he dropped dead when he got near the presence of God. And they had the rope around his ankle so they could pull him out. Isn't that a trip? But that's where the ark, the presence of God was. Okay? Nobody could come into the actual presence of God but the high priest. Right? Is that correct? Others, priests only, priests only, could come to the first part. And they were the ones that did the work, the Levites. They did the work of the altar as far as, I mean, as far as the sacrifices and what have you. But only the high priest would come to the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what happened in David's day, listen to this. This is, I, I, I hope you catch this. Maybe I'll just stop here and save some more until next week. Whose phone just tinged? Was, was that the Lord? Did you just get a text? My wife just got a text in the middle of my message. Is it from the Lord? Is it from the Lord? What did he say? 
I didn't, I didn't hear what she said. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> Hallelujah. When, remember when the ark was stolen? When, because Israel sinned and sinned and sinned, finally uh, God allowed the Philistines to conquer them, Syria conquered them, the Ammonites conquered them. And remember, little by little, they took everything out of the temple. They took everything out of the tabernacle, the gold, the silver, and whatever. They stripped these things. They took them to their kingdoms. And they took the ark. Do you remember that they took the ark, which was not a wise thing to do for the Philistines. You remember the story. They take them into one town. They have five majors. Took, <laughs> put them into town. And every single person in the town got, they, had, they were surrounded by mice and they had hemorrhoids. <laughs> God gave every one of them hemorrhoids, the Bible says. God's got a sense of humor. Tell you what, they tried and they put the ark and remember in the in the house of their god, Dagon. You know the thing with the big fish head. And they came in the next day and the thing was falling over on its side. They stood him book up. They came in the next day and he was not only falling off, but his palms were cut off and his arms were cut off. His feet were cut off. And they realized, you know what? With all these hemorrhoids and all these mice, I don't think it's cool that we got this thing. This thing belongs to Israel. And so they sent her to another one of the towns. Hey, we'll give it to you. Same thing happens there. Everybody in town gets hemorrhoids and mice. Don't ask me why. God's got a sense of humor. And then they tried to give it off to another Philistine town. They said, no way, man. We're not going to do We don't want to. We've seen what's happened to you. You guys have been in misery, man, absolute misery. And they said, get rid of this thing. Send it back. So anyhow, you know, the Ark of the Covenant basically comes back. But listen to this. This is what I hadn't seen before. The Ark of the Covenant was not placed back in the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle of Moses was then encamped at Gibeon, but it didn't go there. It was in the house of this one place. Well, then it was in the house of Obed-Edom for those three months. And then that's when David comes with all of his music. And David arranges the Ark of the Covenant to come down. He takes it into Jerusalem, right? Right? The ark, the tabernacle of Moses is still standing. The priests are still offering sacrifices at Gibeon, but there's no presence of God because the ark is in the hands of David now. And David takes the ark with the presence of God. He takes it down and he builds what they call, like he called a sukkah. This tent, he puts up a tent for this. Now show the next slide. And this is the tabernacle of David. Look at the next slide. Look how simple this is. This is so profound. If you think about it, this is 3,000 years. Listen, 3,000 years before Christ is crucified and raised from the dead and the veil is rent. See, we think when the veil was rent, listen, we think that the ark was behind the veil. I did. Ark wasn't behind the veil. <laughs> but the representation of it still remained true. The ark was in the city of David, in the sukkah. But look at the profound difference. In the tabernacle of David, there's only one thing there. You know what it was? The ark of the covenant, the presence of God. And everybody, they had gatekeepers at the front, everybody had free access. The difference between the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of David Tabernacle of Moses, only a selected one man could go to the presence of God. 
There's others that could come near the house of God. But in the tabernacle of David, everybody had access freely to the very presence of God. It spoke of what we have now 3,000 years later in Christ. All of us have open access to come boldly to the throne of grace ourselves. Now, why would God institute this? It just really struck me. Here's Gibeon. The, ark, the tabernacle is still there. David says he sends Zadok and the priest to continue to offer up the sacrifices. But the ark was no longer there. And that's the most important part of worship. It's not the sacrifices, it's the presence. And in the, in the, in the tabernacle of David, one of the major aspects of why it needs to be rebuilt, why it's going to bring freedom, why it's going to cause a rebuilding, why it's going to cause the mountains to melt, why it's going to cause everything that's barren to be fruitful, is because in this dispensation we have freedom of access to the very presence of God so that we might worship him. Because the whole thing is about worshiping our God. And it was always difficult under the law of tabernacle, under the tabernacle of Moses because everybody, the mass stood outside. It was just the few that represented him. It got to be there. But God in his grace would allow that pillar of fire and that cloud at time. But actually that stopped happening about two centuries before. But now we get to rebuild the tabernacle of David. We have to see that God spoke gigantically, gigantically, prophetically through this about the day that you and I get to live in now. We have this freedom of access. And remember, though, like I said, God commanded him on all of this, around this, around this tent that just had that ark. Remember, the ark was only about this big like that. It's about a meter and a half. I don't remember. Just over a meter and a half long and you know, and having the two golden cherubims sitting on the top of it. It was only that big. But could you picture like where the word tabernacle of David is? Remember? Remember? 4,000 singers? 4,000 musicians? All it says, I, I, I've, got, I've got four pages of all the statements here of all the singing and the shouting and the trumpets and the sounds that were being made. I'm telling you, they praised God loudly. I said loudly. David, remember, if you remember it, like it says, he spun around in violent emotion in his worship as he brought the ark back to Jerusalem. I know that, and that's stated one other place when it talks about God himself spins around us, singing over us in joy. I mean, imagine, remember, God in heaven spins around in violent emotion over you and his love for you. He dances over you with joy. God in heaven knows how to dance. I don't know if it's that slide thing you guys do. I don't know if he's got angels next to him doing this. <laughs> I don't know. But God in heaven dances over you with joy. And it says that he, it says, remember... That, with, that again, that he shouts 
and screams with such a shout. It says in the Hebrew, with such a shout as to cause all the enemy's hearts to fail because of his shout. See, something has to awaken in us. You've got to be unafraid to worship him. You know, God bless Gosha. Gosha cracks me up sometimes. Sometimes she freaks me out. Sometimes I want to say, Gosha, go sit in the car. I've had those thoughts before, I have. But I'm telling you, God bless her. I mean, she just does not care. And I'm not trying to embarrass you, Gosh, I'm not. But honestly, I, she's, I'm going to get up here, dance like I do. I'm just going to, I'm before the Lord. I, honest to God, what would happen if we had about 200 people with the same attitude? What, I wonder what the spirit of the realm would release in us. See, that's what I'm hungry for. I want to see the relief. I want, if you're sick, I want you healed. I can quote the verses over you by his stripes you're healed. I can quote Matthew 18, Jesus, who, that it might be fulfilled, which is speaking by, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. I can quote Psalm. He sent his word and healed you. I can do all that stuff. I can lay hands on the sick because it says they shall recover. I can anoint you with oil. I can, I can do that. And God will do these things. <laughs> but man, all through scripture, God commands, when the kings set in motion the tabernacle after the commandment of David, with the Levites and the singers and the trumpeters and the cymbal players and the lute players and ba 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 da 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 and the dancers and 24-7 the Lord is good and his loving kindness and his mercy endure forever for the Lord is good, his loving kindness and his mercy endure. When they set that in motion, it says David had victory everywhere he went. And every one, every, every one of those kings, I've got them. I've, like I said, this last two weeks, I went through all, every, just read First and Second Chronicles for yourself. Really read it, though. But you've got to look for Everywhere that was instituted, all of their enemies were beaten. I mean, just look at that thing. It's just the freedom of access. Let me say if I can make one more statement here, and then we'll shut up. I'll shut up. Hallelujah. I got, like I said, oh, my gosh. And one thing, okay, I'll just read this. One of my, one of my goals, I say it unashamedly. I was praying. You know what I prayed for a lot this morning and last night? Money. I said, God, I'm not afraid of money. I want money. Because I, and I'm sure you are too, but I mean, I, you know, Jesus says was moved with compassion and he healed all those, all those sick. If you're around Jesus much, you're going to hit me? Young girl scares me at times. But when you, doesn't something in your heart just, whatever, when you see these like little kids on the street that like mothers or, or dads are abusing. I mean, I've seen, you know, when they get, I've seen them hit their kids and stuff or, the, or just the homeless. Doesn't, isn't there something in you that 
even on TV, when you do see the, the way these kids, the homeless, but I mean the orphans, I mean like Bobby's mother had, you know, Bobby, I don't know where Bobby is, but you know, Bobby's mom has a, an orphanage there in India that we support a little. What I'm trying to spit out is, without sounding super ministerial, doesn't, don't, don't you wish you could give all the money you, I mean, to have enough money that you could give tons and tons of food to these babies that are starving? When you see the malnutrition that's in these places, and you realize how far 10 pounds would go, 10 pounds in some of those nations, what it can do, how many water wells you could dig for people, how many planes you could bring supplies in with, what you can do with money. What you can do with money. I want money. <laughs> I say it understandably, man. I do. I want a lot of it. I want it for the house that God wants us in. See, I don't want it so we can celebrate how cool we are. I want it. Listen, if God in his gospel tells us to do something, God doesn't send you to do something without equipping you with what it takes to do it. But see, we have to keep releasing faith for it. Don't be afraid of money. This is a house of abundance. We are going to have millionaires here. We, oh, we really are. This is not just something to make you go goody. But see, I need you to set your sights on some things. I need you to have your heart open to witty inventions, like it says in Proverbs. God will give you an idea that will make you a multimillionaire. And then you can help build God's church. I want to be a blessing. I want to feed orphans. I want to bring the... I want to house them. I want to see the addicts set free like I was set free. I want to see all that stuff happen. I mean, I really do, but it takes money. So money's just a tool. So don't be afraid of it. But I bring that up simply because about musicians, you know, when you read all through the book of Nehemiah, all the provisions there, I got one, two, three, four, five sets of scriptures here about just in Nehemiah. For the Persian king ordered concerning that a certain provision be made for the singers that's each day required. The days of Joshua, the sons of Levi, and the chiefs and the Levites were Hashabah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, son of Kadmi, with their brethren offspring to praise and to give thanks as David, God's man, commanded. One watch singing in response to the men on the opposite watch singing. There's all these things about that they sang responsibly to one another. After, and for the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, cymbals, harps, and lyres. And it goes on to say, and also from Beth Gagal in the fields of Geba and Azimut. Listen, for the singers had built for themselves villages. The singers built for themselves villagers. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there was a chief of singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel, a later Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart was what set apart what was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart was was for the sons of Aaron. But basically, it says this: in Nehemiah's day, listen, the descendants of the ancient choral guilds or families, lived in prophetic communities 
and they were thought so important that their support was paid out of public funds in return for their ministry. All the musicians were deemed so important that they were paid out of public funds in respect of their ministry because something back then they understood what musicians were really about. But you see, also, I got to say this to these guys all the time, musicians have to understand what they're about because there's a lot of people that can play keyboards and drums and sing that don't have a lick of sense about what God does with it. But this is why once you understand, you consecrate those gifts to God. But think about that. In God's plan, they were deemed so important that they not only had their daily, they were provided for by public funds, but the singers lived in prophetic communities. They had their own villages. Can you imagine? You go into an entire town, an entire village, and every person in the town is a musician or a singer. And they all relate with one another, and they get bigger and get stronger because of it, all the interaction. And they don't have to sweat it, work in the fields that much because they're paid for. You buy your food because I'm giving you, I'm public, I'm giving you the money because you're that important. I want you to, I want you to be alone with God. I want you to get new songs. Because I want you to understand that when you play, stuff happens. Can you imagine? What if we could get there today? Well, I was able to put Angela on staff, and her only job is as chief singer. She never has to work another day in her life. Because her work is being before God in prayer and worship, playing, singing, thinking, getting new songs. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be, because that's what was actually here. I mean, there's tons of stuff and material I can, I found out and I can read, but I'm asking God to give us a revelation in music. That's what it's all about. Amen? So bring us the money, Father, so that we can release some of these musicians into an environment where they can get what heaven has waiting for each of them right now. And, and yeah, give us the money so that we can, we can take care of the kids assigned to us, and we can take care of the orphans assigned to us, and we can take care of the elderly, elderly that are assigned to us, and the homeless, just so that we can do what you said we're supposed to do when we preach this gospel. Uh, we to help the fatherless and help the widows and help the people. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I know you want this for us. I know that you want this to this. I know that you want this expression right here in this church because you put it in my heart, and it's not my fault. You put me here as the shepherd of this people. It is not my fault. You put me here. <laughs> so I'm thanking you again, Father, right now to make provision for all of these things. I'm thanking you, Father, before witnesses and before heaven itself. I expect you to make provisions, so I thank you, funny. I, I thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. So again, I speak to you, money. You be released in the name of Jesus from the north, from the south, from the east, and the west to come to us because I'm not afraid of it. I'll know what to do with it. I thank you, Father, for you prospering our people. I thank you for this house of abundance. I thank you for magnitude. I mean, all explosions of wealth explosions of wealth 
I'm thanking you. They will not be selfish. We all know what the word says. If it's to consume it upon their own lust, it will not happen. But I know, Father, that there are some here who will really see heaven. And they'll be worthy, worthy men and women of money. They'll know what to do with it. So I pray, Father, I thank you for what's coming. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for the incredible wealth that's coming to some of our people. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for the incredible wealth that's coming. I thank you for the people that you've released to come to this church. Rich men, poor men, rich women, poor women, the lost, the confused, the addicts, I don't care. I just thank you, Father, that you bring them, that they might be saved, healed, delivered, freed. But, Father, this morning, I'm asking you to do this work of revelation of music. Worship. Somehow, how it ties to heaven. How right now, right this moment, as I speak, there are tens and tens of thousands of angels in joyful assembly. There is a joyful assembly in heaven right now. I mean, it's joyful. There's no depressed people in heaven. And that's what we get to somehow connect with when we actually praise and we actually worship. Hallelujah. Oh, God, there's so much. Help us. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 